It is indeed a pleasure to be with you as we are continuing in this 40-day journey called the Red Letter Challenge. And as always, I think before we come before Jesus' words and really consider them, we should allow God to prepare our hearts and our minds to receive the message that he has for us. So would you please bow your heads and pray with me. Lord, we give you thanks that you have indeed gathered us together in this place so that we might hear from you, that we might be taught by you, that we might be formed by you. And so, Lord, we ask that as we read your words, that we wouldn't just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. That your word would indeed take root and bear much fruit in our lives. And Lord, I pray that the words of my lips and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, O God, who is indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So we have indeed been on this 40-day journey together in which we've been looking at some major themes in what Jesus said and in what he taught. We started by, looking at, uh, by using the word being and looking at what does it mean to be in a life-giving relationship with God, uh, a relationship which is really founded on his love and his grace for us. Then in the second week, we looked at the word forgiving, and we looked at how God has forgiven us and now calls us to go and forgive others. And last week, we were talking about the word serving, how God calls us to use the gifts that he's given us to bless those around us. And this week, we turn to a new word. We turn to the word giving, which in many ways is really an extension of the word serving. And we want to look at giving because, honestly, our culture has some struggles when it comes to giving. Our culture has some struggles when it comes to generosity and, and using what we have to bless others. Uh, recently, I read a quote by a, a well-known pastor, Andy Stanley, talking about kind of the ways in which we as a country are in denial. And this is what he had to say. He said, it's funny that, uh, he, he says, it's funny, rich people are in denial. And normally we are not in denial about things that we know. For instance, tall people admit that they're tall. Short people admit that they're short. Athletic people admit that they're athletic. Artsy people admit that they're artsy. Introverts don't even mind telling you that they're introverts. And extroverts can't wait to tell you that they're extroverts. But when it comes to rich people, they won't admit it. And they live in denial. But what was really fascinating is what Andy Stanley then goes on to define as rich. He noted something particularly interesting. He said, look, if, if, you make, if you make more than $40,000 a year, that automatically puts you in the top 4% of the world's population in terms of income. If you make more than $40,000 a year, you already make more, uh, you, that already puts you in the top 4% of wage earners in the world. He says, and actually, if you make more than $48,000 a year, that automatically puts you in the top 1%. Now, on the one hand, you could say, well, wealth is kind of relative, right? There's all these things like cost of living and taxes and so on and so forth. Yes, that's true. But the reality is, is that if you live in this country and you make more than $40,000 a year, you are rich already. You have far more wealth than the vast majority of humanity. And actually, it's, I find it interesting that we live in a country where the major health concern is not starvation, it's overeating. That's our big health crisis, is that we as a country are obese, we're overweight. Our problem is not scarcity, our problem is abundance. And what do we do with it? 
But then you go on and you look at some of the things, uh, some of the ways in which we struggle, uh, not just with our wealth and our income, but with our stuff. How many of you are familiar with one of these facilities? Yeah? Some of us, people kind of raise their hand and then put them down, like really quick. <laughs> like we didn't want to admit it. I learned something really fascinating about storage facilities. Really interesting statistic. That is that there are 52,000 storage facilities worldwide, but 46,000 of them are found in the United States. See, how many of you would, would actually have a garage? You can raise your hand for this one. I'm not going to like trick you. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I have a garage. How many of you actually park your car in it? Good, great, because there are many people who have, like, who have garages, but what do the garages become? Storage facilities, right? Where we have a two-car garage, but we can really only get one in there, right? Because where do we put the rest of our stuff? We put it in places like this. We actually need additional facilities to store the stuff that we don't use and that we're probably not going to see. We have an interesting, I would say, dysfunctional relationship with our stuff, with our possessions and our material wealth. Actually, if you look at how much the average American gives per year, the average American will give $1,600 a year away to some kind of charity, some kind of nonprofit that they care about. What about Christians, though? Well, the average Christian, uh, American Christian gives only $1,800 per year to their church or to other charitable causes. Now, on the one hand, we can say, well, good, and see, Christians are more generous than the average Americans. Yeah, but only by $200 a year. And if we are called to be Christ followers who put his words and his teachings into practice, I don't think $200 really helps us to stand out in the crowd. And actually, when I, when I learned this statistic, I then did, decided to do some digging, and I wanted to know, so how are we doing at Trinity? What is giving at Trinity like? So I looked at our, our last fiscal year. Our last fiscal year, we had 913 giving units. That's 913 uh, families or households that are giving uh, to Trinity. And if you take like our total giving income and you divide that out across those 913, that means that every giving unit is giving approximately $3,000 a year. So compared to like average Americans and average Christians, we're doing pretty good. That's, that's really encouraging. And I would say that one of the things that I appreciate about Trinity as a church is that, that we try to stretch ourselves when it comes to generosity. But at the same time, I really had to stop and say, but how are we doing when we consider what God has called us to? That if we were actually to look at Jesus' words and what the word of God says about giving, how are we doing compared to that bar, not just the bar that our culture sets for us? See, if we're giving $3,000 a year, that means that we are tithing off of a $30,000 a year gross annual income, household income. It means that we are all making only $30,000 a year, and so if we're truly tithing, $3,000 would be 10%. That's what a tithe is. A tithe literally means tenth. But here's the other interesting statistic. In 2017, DuPage, County, uh, DuPage County's median household income was $89,521. And Cook County's was $61,405. Hopefully you can kind of see what I'm getting at, right? If God's word calls us to give 10%, to give at least a tithe away, to give it away to those who have need, to give it away to the mission of God, to give it away in some way, we're still falling short. We still have a little bit of work to do. Which is why I think this week is an awesome week. 
it's a great week because it's a week in which we get to kind of have a moment of reset and go back to what does Jesus actually say about giving? How is it that we can grow in this area? I want us to kind of like enter the financial gym for a second and kind of like work on those, on those uh, non-dominant muscles uh, just a little bit. I want us to really think about what does Jesus have to say about generosity because what he has to say about generosity is truly astounding. One of the things I found actually is that Jesus talks about money and material possessions far more than he talks about heaven, hell, and judgment. Far more. Actually, 16 of his 38 parables are specifically about what you do with your material wealth. 16 of his 38 parables are all about that. Which means Jesus has some stuff to say about this, that it's important to him. And and more than that, because I believe Jesus is the best teacher when it comes to life and why we're here, I think he has some very profound things to say about giving and generosity. And so what I would like us to do this morning... It's to take a close look at at one of what I would consider one of his best teachings on material wealth and possessions. And it's actually found at the heart of his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 24. So if you've got your Bibles with you, please open with me to Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 19. And actually what I would like us to do is I kind of want to look at what Jesus has to say backwards. So I, I want to go really to verse 24. That's where I would really like us to start. And we're going to work our way backwards to kind of understand what Jesus is saying. All right? In verse 24, Jesus says the following. He says, No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. I'll say that again. No one can serve two masters. Either he's going to hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, I find it really interesting that most of our translations translate this, you cannot serve both God and money. And here's why. The word that Jesus uses when he said, the word that we translate money, is actually a really bizarre word. It's the word mammon. It's the word mammon, and it's a bizarre word because actually this is the only time you find it in the New Testament is when Jesus talks about this. It's, it's here in Matthew's gospel. Luke in his gospel also repeats this exact same teaching and uses this word. It's the only time we find the word, uh, this word mammon. And, and scholars have wrestled with, well, what does this word even mean? And, and what they think is that actually what the, what the gospel writers was, were doing is they were trying to transliterate an Aramaic word. Okay, because that was actually Jesus' like native language was Aramaic. And because there was a word in Aramaic that sounded very, very similar to this word mammon. And what it meant was it meant that in which one trusts. Really what it means is, is your material stuff. Anything else that you look to for kind of material wealth and security. And so what Jesus is really saying is he's saying it's not just that you can't serve God and money. You can't serve God and your stuff. It's either going to be God or your stuff. It's not going to be both. So already what we see is that Jesus has a much richer definition of thinking about generosity than we do. When he thinks about wealth, he thinks about everything that you have. Absolutely every sort of material wealth that you possess, which is why I think it, it go, he goes on to say when he talks about being anxious, that he talks about things like food and shelter and clothing, right? Right? 
Jesus' definition of wealth is far broader than our definition of wealth. He, he is talking about money, but not just money. He's talking about all the ways in which we are wealthy. And he says, you can't serve God in your stuff. It's impossible. You're either going to love the one and hate the other or, despise, uh, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. And actually what I love is that uh, this word mammon was, was used by uh, the great English poet John Milton in his uh, poem Paradise Lost. Because in Paradise Lost, he takes this word mammon and he personifies mammon. He envisions mammon as actually one of the angels who fell from heaven with Satan when they rebelled against God. And this is what he actually has to say about mammon. I love this. He says, mammon, the least erected spirit that fell from heaven. For even in heaven, his looks and thoughts were always downward bent, admiring more the riches of heaven's pavement, trodden gold than aught divine or holy else enjoyed in vision beatific. Let me do a little translating. What he's basically saying is he's saying, you could recognize mammon in heaven even before he fell because he was the one angel in the heavenly streets who was walking around like this. He was staring at the golden pavement. And the whole time he's staring at the golden pavement and missing the greater glories of heaven. Now this is a poem, but as all great poetry does, it says something very, very true. What he's basically saying is he's saying that if you serve mammon, your eyes are always going to be looking down for gold rather than looking up and experiencing the greater joys that God has for you. This is what mammon does when we worship mammon. He has our eyes set on the ground rather than looking up to experience the greater glories of God and his kingdom. And I think that that's the way most of us go through life. We are so fixated on where our next paycheck is going to come from or pursuing uh, uh, physical and material wealth and comfort and safety and security that we are missing life. Absolutely missing life. You cannot serve both God and mammon. He wants to keep your eyes, mammon wants to keep your eyes fixed down on the here and now and miss the joy of the life God is calling you to. I think that's why Jesus, see I said we were going to work backwards. I think that's why Jesus says that the eye is the lamp of the body. So that if your eye is healthy and your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Then, the light in, uh, then if the light of, in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? He's saying, look, you, neither, you either need to fixate your gaze on God or you're going to end up fixating your gaze on stuff. You can't do both. And what you fixate your gaze on is going to ultimately affect your soul. That if we are so fixated on our stuff and our wealth, we are increasingly going to become less generous, less godlike. People who, though we were made in God's image, no longer reflect his generous heart to the world. You can't serve both God and mammon. And so how do, how, do we, how do we give up our allegiance to mammon? How does that actually happen? I think that's really the question we should be asking. Well, Jesus actually says, well, first and foremost, you need to recognize a deeper spiritual reality. That's actually what he then spends verses 25 to 34 talking about when he talks about not being anxious. He says, don't be anxious about your life, what you're going to eat or drink, or about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? 
He then goes on to talk about how God uh, feeds the birds of the air. How God clothes the lilies of the field. He says, look, the the pagans, they, they run after all this stuff. But your father knows that you need them all. He says, aren't you much more valuable than the birds of the heavens? Aren't you much more valuable than the flowers of the field? Basically what Jesus is saying is like the first thing you need to recognize if you're going to give up your allegiance to mammon, give up your allegiance to your stuff and turn your allegiance to God is to recognize God is going to provide for you no matter what. He is your father who loves you. He knows exactly what you need. He will provide for those needs. He does not forsake us in the midst of of our need. He will be there. It's the first thing we need to recognize is that there's a deeper spirituality because when he sets up God versus mammon, he is saying this is a spiritual battle. And in order to, to, to fight the battle well, you need to understand the deeper spiritual truth. God is your father who loves you, who will always provide for you. But the second thing that I think is really important is that we need to learn how to rob mammon of his tools. We need to take away his tools. Which is why I love how Jesus begins this teaching. He says, Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, I love that Jesus put them in that order. I think that Jesus put them in that order for that reason. He says, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He doesn't say where your heart will, uh, is, there your treasure will go. Because Jesus understands something important about us as human beings. And that is this, that we as human beings, we have to act ourselves into a new way of thinking, not think ourselves into a new way of acting. We have to act ourselves into a new way of thinking, not think ourselves into a new way of acting. If we wait until our heart feels generous, you will never give. Never give. Because you're still focused on your stuff. But if you just start giving it away, suddenly you realize it loses its power. You realize that it no longer has any hold over you. And more than that, you'll recognize it actually starts to do something within you. It starts to cultivate a generous heart. Jesus says we got we to gotta rob mammon of his tools by giving our stuff away. And, and Jesus says and the best way to do, give your stuff away is to lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Well, what does that mean? Well, he says it really at the end of chapter 6. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and these things will be added to you. He's saying, look, if you want to rob mammon of his power, give up your stuff and make a heavenly investment. Give up your material wealth for heavenly causes. He's saying, give away in ways that give life to other people for all eternity. He's telling us that we need to be about investing in the mission of the kingdom of God here and now. Because when we do that, it cultivates a more generous heart. It shapes our heart around the mission of God. It shapes our heart around the kingdom of God. And ladies and gentlemen, I can't tell you how true this is. I have found over and over again that that often I don't actually start caring about an issue until I start giving to it. Because as I give to it, suddenly I care a little bit more about it. I care more about that cause. I care more about the organization that I'm supporting. I want to know that they're healthy, that they're succeeding. I want to know what I can do to help and get the word out. 
When we give, it changes our hearts because what we realize is that we're actually giving our hearts away. We're giving our hearts to other people who have needs. We're giving our hearts away in ways that actually benefit them and help them to grow and to experience the life that God has for them. We are creating outposts of the kingdom in our world when we give our stuff away so that it might bless others. And it shapes our hearts. But furthermore, not only does this kind of generosity set us free, set us free from having to serve mammon, but, but it, it helps us enter into this life of joy, seeing the ways in which our, our, the things that we have, the wealth that God has entrusted to us, actually makes a difference in someone else's life. There is a great joy in knowing that we have met someone else's needs and watching that difference being made. But there's also the great joy of knowing that we are actually doing something that, that otherwise we would never get to do. Because I have a secret for you this morning, that, and the secret is this, your money and your possessions can go places and do things that you couldn't. Your money and your possessions can go places and do things that you cannot. I want you to look around this sanctuary for a second. Do you notice what is hanging on our walls? There are flags there. How many of you have been to Estonia? Your money has. The things that you give to this church have because we support a missions organization called Josiah Venture in Estonia. And what Josiah Venture is doing is it is bringing the word of God to an entire generation of young people who've never even heard the name Jesus. Because Estonia used to be behind the Iron Curtain and the USSR, the communist government, was excellent at wiping out the church. There is a generation of teenagers in Estonia where if you ask them if they believe in Jesus, their honest response is who? They don't know. And Josiah Venture is there running English camps and summer programs and doing outreach uh, ministry and partnership with local churches to reintroduce an entire generation in this country to the person of Jesus. How many of you have been to Bolivia? Your money has. It's the reason we have the Bolivian flag up there because we support an organization called Niños con Valor. Bolivia has had one of the highest rates of orphans in the world. And what Ninos Convalor does is it provides a safe home where they can experience family and love, where they can grow and learn in safety and then be sent out as young men and young women who understand not only God's love and grace, but how they can bring that love and grace to the other disconnected orphans in their country. You see, when we give of our material wealth to the purposes of God, it goes far, it goes much further and does far more than we could on our own. God takes what little we have and he multiplies it in order to meet the needs of those around the world. And we have the joy of saying we got to be a part of that. I love reading letters from the mission field because one of the things that, that all of our missionaries will say to us and they'll say, and the reason we're able to do this work is because of you. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for your prayers. It allows us to be here to do the work God has called us to. There's this amazing joy that we have when we get to partner in what God is doing around the world simply by giving up our stuff. It's an incredible joy that transforms our hearts. It's actually a joy that I've, I've loved uh, being able to experience with my kids. Because it was actually our kids that decided that they wanted to uh, sponsor a compassion child. 
And so we now, uh, um, we now uh, sponsor a, a little boy who's actually born in the exact same month, the same year as my son. His name is Rafanli. And also, one of the things I love coming up this Christmas season is my kids are already starting to think about, so what can we give away this year? That's what they're doing. They're already looking at their rooms and in their closets saying, what can we give away to help other people? They're excited, and I think part of the reason why is because we've been talking about the joy of giving, and we've been doing it using a very simple tool, and that's the Berenstain Bears. Okay, the Berenstain Bears have this great book called Think of Those in Need, and it actually starts with Mama Bear actually having a nightmare where all the stuff comes out of their closet and chases her around the house shouting, too much stuff, too much stuff. And so then they decide, well, well, let's give it away to those in need. They say, we're not even going to sell it. We're just going to give it away. And they organize their stuff, and they spend their Christmas season just giving it away and experiencing the joy. And what I love is they get to the end of the book, and they're, like, driving down the streets where all, these, like, all the advertisements are going on, and they're not even really paying attention. Their hearts are so full of joy because they gave away. See, now you know the secret to me writing all my sermons. It's the Berenstain Bears. I just, I gave it away. Sorry. Parents, by the way, as Christmas is coming up, awesome book for your kids. Night-night reading. All right? There's a joy that comes from partnering with God in what he's doing. And the price is a pretty small one. Give up your stuff. Use your stuff to bless somebody else. Experience the joy of that. He says, because when you do, you're actually coming close to my heart because God is a God who gives. He gives richly and generously to us. The greatest gift that he could give us is one that we're going to be celebrating in just a couple of weeks. I can't believe I'm saying that. I'm so excited. It's a gift of Christmas, the fact that God gave his own son so that we could be brought into his kingdom, so that we might live. I love how the Apostle Paul puts it in Romans chapter 8. He says, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Our God is a God who loves being generous. And he says, and if you want to look, live, and love like my son, this is one of the best ways to do it. To simply take your stuff and give it away and see the life that it brings to other people. There is a joy in giving. There is transformation that comes in giving. There is a freedom in giving that is so much better than staring at our feet, looking for streets of gold. It's a richness of actually living in the kingdom of God as it breaks into and transforms our world. I love this line from Joshua Becker, the author of The More of Less. He says, it's important for each of us to look outside ourselves, to find investments that tie our hearts to things that bring real joy, eternal purpose, and lasting fulfillment. There is a richness in turning our excess into someone else's supply. There's a richness in turning our excess into someone else's supply. When Jesus says, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, that's what he's talking about. The eternal difference that's made in the lives of the people that we can bless simply by giving away. And so this week, you have this amazing invitation through the Red Letter Challenge, to give. Not just of your money, but of your material stuff. To give it away and to experience the joy and the freedom that comes when we see an eternal difference being made in the lives of those who are blessed by simply looking, living, and loving more like our generous God, Jesus.
So I invite you to take that challenge to walk with us on this journey this week. It's in the name of Jesus that we say, Amen.